0: The Blue Bloods are back with more college football content for all our listeners out there. We start this episode off by discussing whether you guys voted correctly for the best college football team of all time. And then we rank our personal top five players of our lifetime. Then we move into whether fans should be worried about this upcoming 2021 Alabama recruiting class. And we've wrapped this episode up talking about whether the NCAA should really move this upcoming football season into the summer months. And if they decide to do this, what that may look like moving forward. We have a full episode, so let's kick it off. Last week, we released our first of four college football brackets to make up for March Madness being canceled. Uh, This one was which college football team was the greatest of all time, and it all came down to the 2019 LSU Tigers and the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, both of which are national champions and dominated their respective seasons of college football you guys decided and voted and spoke out the 01 miami hurricanes is the greatest college football team of all time that just edged out the lsu team by only eight percent brandon let's just say did not agree with you guys who voted and wanted to bring this debate bring this to the debate table here on the blue bloods podcast so brandon I'm going to defend and t- defend our fans and take the 01 Hurricanes, and you're going to take the 2019 LSU Tigers. So why don't you tell all these good people out there why they're wrong?
1: Yeah, I mean, you are wrong. So if, if you're listening to this right now, you need to know that you're wrong. Um, it was tough for me to even put, those, uh, put the results out, you know. Zach, let me know what the results were. Uh, I spent a good couple of minutes just reflecting on life, thinking about uh, where we went wrong. And how we misguided you as a fan base. Um, how in the world did you rank this 2001 Miami Hurricanes team over this 2019 LSU team? It's ridiculous. I mean, I understand the magnitude of players that played on this team for uh, for Miami. You know, like the great Ken Dorsey. We saw things worked out for him. Um, you know, he's no Joe Burrow, but, you know, am I the critic here? Probably. Um, so I'll go ahead and start out with a few just simple facts. Uh off the top of my head anyway. And so the first one's going to be this LSU team who averaged 48.7 points a game, Zach. What does that round up to? 49. Uh, 49 points a game for this LSU team, and that's compared to a measly 42 points a game by Miami. Did, say, did you say that's, measly? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's <laughs> that's seven points. That's a touchdown, Zach. It's a touchdown and an extra point. So,
0: um, okay, I, don't okay, know. I got Put you. It in right. Head to head,
1: see what happens.
0: I, okay, wh- wh- what did the defense give up? It doesn't matter. We don't even talk about that. Oh, it, it doesn't matter? Defense. It
1: doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Why, why, does it, why would defense ever matter? <laughs> I'm not a big defense guy, everyone knows it. If you really want to know, uh, <laughs> LSU, um, 328 points against them, uh, total for the season. That's 15 games, by the way, not in not, no, not this Bush League. Twelve uh, twelve game season like Miami played. Um, uh, they gave up one hundred and seventeen points.
0: Oh, they did. Miami. So yeah, yeah, Miami. Yeah, okay. That one hundred and seventeen points in twelve games. That's fine. No, if they
1: want to, if they would have had to play three more games, I can't help but think that uh, they would have given up three hundred twenty nine points at least.
0: Negative. Are you (laughs) serious? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. I mean,
1: yeah, I'm super serious. I think they would have given up over 200 more points over th- over uh, three games. Zach, uh, maybe catch on. I, you catch you, you on. can
0: see it. Hey, I mean, you never know. It's you said you year. said they were bombs. You said they all had they all were bombs. So. I didn't
1: say they were bombs. I believe they're the second best <laughs> college football team of all time. I believe you put these two teams up head to head. LSU wins that ten times out of ten. Oh, uh, uh, what basis? Oh my
0: gosh, on uh, what basis? Of, I
2: mean, outside,
0: Outside of quarterback, what positional battle does LSU win? Uh I mean their
1: their running back didn't snap his leg in half, you know. Willis McGahey, I mean, good oh, luck running on a
0: on a on okay. a broken leg. Okay, talk about talk about outside of Willis McGahey, you have Clinton Portis and Frank Gore. Okay. Well, who cares about those guys? You know, better than
1: Claude Everett Hilaire. Well, Frank Frank Gore is like ninety years old now. And now, seen, but <laughs> yeah, but you, did you see his picture last year for the Bills, Zach? He looked like a Madden create your own character, he didn't even look real. Um, and we can keep going, Zach. I mean, Miami played in the Big East, that's not even real anymore. That's not even real. I mean, they yeah, they won 12 games, they went undefeated, whatever. But I mean, they only beat one top 10 uh team that year, they beat Nebraska in the National or in the Rose Bowl. In the BCS National Championship, I mean, if you even want to call that a national championship, other than that, I mean, they beat Florida State, Syracuse, Washington, Virginia Tech. Those were the only other ranked teams they beat. And they were 14, 14, 14, and 12. LSU beat seven top 10 teams, Zach. Seven. And yeah, sure, they gave up 328 points to seven top 10 teams.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, so hang on. Um... Now, like I like that stat, I do. They they beat seven top ten teams. Um, was Texas a top ten team? Uh, in r- really, they were number nine. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they were ranked number nine. But was that truly
1: a top ten team? Uh, okay. So I don't. I'm not a very smart man, Zach. Everyone knows that, but I can count to ten. And nine is in the top ten. I mean, yes.
0: Okay. No. 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 I get that they were ranked nine, but was that talent on that team? a top 10 team at that point in the
1: season. I think so. Yeah, honestly, you do, really, I mean, I think, really, I really
0: do. Oh, wow.
1: I really that, do at that point in the season. They broke, hadn't had their mind. spirits broken yet. They hadn't had their spirits broken. Did you watch that, that LSU Texas game? Mm. I mean, I mean, I it mean was, it, uh, that game was as close as the national championship
0: game was. That's, that's bad. That's really, really bad. Cause Texas was not that good. In the but long That's what run. I'm saying.
1: Well well, okay. I mean, they looked as good. I mean, they, they played LSU as closely as Clemson played LSU. And I mean, you can say what you want about Texas, horns down all day, but they played LSU as close as Clemson
0: did. And
1: maybe closer.
0: Uh, what was the average margin of victory for LSU this year?
1: Right, Zach, why do you expect me to have all these stats on hand? <laughs> I think it was
0: like I think I think it was like twenty one points. I mean, so Miami beat their opponents by an average of 33 points. Oh, who cares? They they ain't played nobody, Zach. They ain't played nobody, Paul. Bro, they allowed 9.8 points per game and only allowed a measly, since you like that word apparently, 17 points at home all season. Okay, uh, seventeen well, points.
1: Let's, let's let's see who they played at home. They played Rutgers at home, so that's really impressive. Good job. They played Troy, who was actually Troy State at home at that point. Um, they played West Virginia at home and Temple at home. Then they played Syracuse and Washington. I mean, okay. If you want to, if you want to talk about who, how many points they allowed at home, we can talk about the
0: teams they played. Uh, at home hang on, well. talk, about, talk about how many points did uh, Vandy score on LSU?
1: We, we're not here to talk about Vanderbilt, Zach. We're here to talk about LSU. Well, I think it was, what, Miami. 38? 38? Yeah, but what was the final score? 66 to
0: 38, Zach. They scored I don't like care. I don't care. They, team. Uh, oh, gosh. I mean, it's Vandy. Okay, you say the Big East was so weak, but they can't pick who they play in their conference, and when they played in conference, they only allowed 55 points total in you know all their conference what, you know games. Do you know what they can choose, Zach? What's that? They they can choose what conference
1: they're in, right? Schools get to choose that, am I right? And they chose the Big East.
0: Okay, I don't think you. I think you're allowing too much freedom for these schools. Like Miami couldn't have just no, been like, "Yo, I want to be, I want to be in the SEC." The SEC was like, "Okay, we have logistics. You got to get a friend to come with you." It's like getting into a frat party. There's, 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 there's dynamics yeah, you, that you
1: know here. We get it. I mean, it's fine.
0: <laughs> exactly. Miami didn't know anybody, man. They they were a guy coming to a frat party, not in the frat. They weren't getting let in, and yeah. So this team only allowed 13 touchdowns all season. And their defense scored eight of their own. Their defense almost outscored their opponents in the season. And you know, you talk about LSU having to play Clemson and Natty. I mean, Miami had to play Nebraska, who wasn't too far removed from their last national championship and was a really, really good team. Miami was winning thirty-four to nothing at halftime.
1: Okay, I mean
0: that's it's Nebraska, Zach. We we both hate Nebraska. What do you mean it's Nebraska? What do you mean, Nebraska? I mean, Nebraska, Nebraska was really good back in the day. They're not good now. Oh, I mean, fine, not fine. not good now. I mean, uh, I, I don't if think you either. Some more fans. You might be a Nebraska fan.
1: So we're, that's, we're true. Gonna, that,
0: that's true. That's true. Scott running. Frost doing big things, if you remember. But I mean, let's look at this positional matchup. You already we kind of talked about running backs. LSU gets quarterbacks. Uh, Miami gets running backs. I'm sorry, when th- all three of your running backs are. Three of the best NFL running backs in history. We're we're giving that to Miami. Now let's go to wide receiver and tight end. I think this is a good let's battle. Do let's I mean, do this. okay, let's, let's do this. You got Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall. Um, uh, I'm forgetting what, what Jamar Chase, and you have Thaddeus Thaddeus Moss. Right. We'll we'll, we'll put that out there. While on Miami side, you have Andre Johnson. I would say better yeah. than all of LSU's wide receivers. And then the let's look at. Then you have Kellen Winslow Jr. and Jeremy Shockey. Yeah, whatever. I mean, uh, uh,
1: bro. Okay, Kellen Winslow didn't even play.
0: He had two receptions all year. But he was on the roster. Like, uh, he was a backup because he Jeremy was a- Shockey was a senior. He was a junior, Zach. Get or a, a junior. straight. Okay, well, he left. My bad. He left after the season. So it was his last year. They're not – I mean – it's the same thing happening with Sean Taylor. Yeah. Sean Taylor didn't start because Ed Reed was in front of him. Zach, we can do this all day,
1: but I mean, if you want to, let's look at the stats. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about these people being the best. I mean, of all time, you were talking about Andre Johnson doing better than anybody on LSU's roster. Yeah. Maybe in the long run, but not during the span of the season. I mean, he had 682 receiving yards total for the season. Jamar Chase, Zach had more receiving yards than their entire wide receiving core combined. That's because LSU threw it every
0: play. Miami ran the ball more than they passed it. When you have Cliff Portis, Willis McGahee, and Frank Gore, you're going to give it to those guys. I get that. That's fine. Whatever, Zach,
1: well, it's, this is – Okay, well, okay. You're well, we telling what, me. D- Whatever, okay. Zolaire had more yards than any – That He had more yards than any of Miami's running backs. Because let's they were splitting carries.
0: They were splitting carries. Yeah, okay, so let's do the math. You're
1: saying – You're saying tw-
2: – sh- Oh, my God. Let me
1: make my point. Let me make my point. Sh- 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 sh. Okay, sweet boy. We're going we're gonna to talk about this, all right? All <laughs> right, so Clinton Portis, 1,200 yards over the span of the season. Willis McGahee, 314 – Frank Gore five sixty two. Okay, uh, do do some math real quick, Zach. What does that add up to? It's like what almost two thousand. <laughs> it's over two thousand. So yeah. you're really you're really good at math. Uh, yeah, everyone fine. knows it. Uh, it's almost twenty one hundred. It's almost twenty one hundred yeah. yards. Clyde Edwards Alaire had fourteen hundred and fourteen yards this season. Uh, Davis Price had. 295 yards this season. John Emery had 188 and Chris Curry had 189. Let's do that math real quick, Zach. So fourteen, fourteen plus, uh, and this is Brandon's math corner, by the way, in case you were wondering what the segment's going to be called. Uh, but, but I mean, all that comes out to 2086 yards and let's do the math. Let's do the math. on on Miami's three uh, running backs right now. We've got 1200 on the dot uh, three fourteen, and uh, what what did I say? Five sixty two. Yeah, Two thousand seventy-six. LSU has more rushing yards between all their all Damn their running backs. Christ. Okay, and Damn we're passing Christ. yards. I'm just saying. That, and I'm gonna pull out. Uh, I'm gonna pull a uh, saying out of your book, Zach. Uh, something I didn't even know existed until this season. Uh, but Miami's offense couldn't hold a jock jockstrap, LSU this season.
0: that's fine but uh, they didn't have to because they had the defense was so good this miami defense was shut down this LSU this lsu offense (laughs) Uh, that's that's just not true that's just absurd. how are you gonna throw on antro roll ed reed sean taylor philip buchanan jonathan vilma while joe burrow's getting smacked by vince wilfork Okay,
1: while well, Joe Burrow's getting smacked while he's being protected by his by his award-winning offensive line. Yeah, you're right. Sorry Zach.
0: Oh my god. Are you really? Are you you really really think LSU is doing what they did to Clips Like this, the Clipson defense was probably the best in the country. Back.
1: That's what I'm saying. We're gonna look back at this Clipson defense from this year and from years past. And we're gonna be like, wow, Clipson's defense was top notch, and we're gonna compare them not- to T. Why am I say that close. they're the same? I'm not gonna say they're the same as Miami in 0-1, but I think that they're I think they're somewhat comparable. I mean you can't act that they're not. Negative. All right. I think Isaiah Simmons burns anybody on on uh on Miami's defense that year. I do.
0: Uh, I mean, Isaiah Simmons is one player, though, but like they didn't have a collection of talent like this Miami defense did. I mean, there's no one on there that's that's comparable to Vince Wilford, Jonathan Vilma, Ancho Roll, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, Philip Buchanan. I mean, Ed Reed is probably the greatest safety in, co- in college or NFL history or one of the best. Oh, man, there's,
1: no, there's no debate there. You're right.
0: Yeah. And Sean Taylor. But had a really great career going until he tragically passed away. Yeah, and people. I mean, I, th- I think Sean Taylor might've been better than Ed Reed in the long run. If, you know, if he would have been able to finish out his career and let's not forget how good answer Roll was. And then Jonathan Vilma, I mean, you're, you're, you watch NFL football, you you watch Jonathan Vilma, Jonathan Vilma is no scrub. Yeah. No, I no mean, scrub, no. my, this Miami team had a record 17 players from this team that were first round picks 38 total players were taken in the draft and a record six players from the same team were taken in the 04 draft that's fine whatever
2: i mean, I mean it's
1: just this is one of those things where i get it i mean people don't want to vote for this lSU team because oh i don't want to fall into recency bias whatever do, do do whatever you need to do go back to your comfortable place whatever that is maybe you're uh living in the past thinking that old football is better
0: football just because it's older and
1: we're, we'll never move on i get it it's fine
0: I mean that uh, stop. Stop it right now. I'm sand, I'm not sand allowing sand you to that. I'm not allowing you to take this podcast down the no, road. No, 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 no. Where, okay. where you think just doing, we're there. I mean we're already, there. I just, we're already there and it's disappointing. I really did not want to start this show like this. I didn't want to have to debate this. Brandon insisted I didn't want to have to kill him on the podcast. He didn't kill me. Yeah, I don't, the, I don't the, the, didn't. the people have spoken. The people have spoken, Brandon. 0-1 Miami, and it's not a debate. It's it's definitely a debate. It was
1: like a it was like a three vote difference. I don't want to hear not a debate.
0: <laughs> it, it it did come down to a very very close vote, but so we're going to go ahead and move on to our next topic, and it's w- Matt Miller of the NFL Network started a Twitter store when he asked fans to rank their top 5 college football players of their lifetime. As you could imagine, there were probably there were many strong opinions on this issue and thousands of people joined in on this debate. So, who better to jump in than the strongly opin- opinionated team of the Blue Bloods here? So, We're going to keep our snake draft format that we've gone with throughout this podcast. So, Brandon, you know, we're younger than a lot than some of our audience. So I think ours might differ than some people, but we got to kind of stick to this previous like two decades. But go ahead and give me your number five player on your list.
1: Okay. So this is my personal list. I don't need anybody. Well, go, ahead. go ahead and come after me. You know what? I'm used to it. I, love, I live in the mud. I roll around it and I thrive in it. So if you want to come after me for this list, go ahead. But these are my top five uh, personal players that I love watching play um, players that I've seen play. And, you know, Zach and I are both 23 years old or we're, we're young, you know, or relatively young. So we're not going to have the same players that a lot of our listeners have. Um, but these are players that we watched play. These weren't players that like, Oh, we were born in 96 and they played in the 96 season. So they were in our lifetime. No, it's players that we remember watching play. Um, with that said, my number five player of all time, I'm going to list Adrian Peterson, uh, running back for Oklahoma. Um, this is a player that it, it was kind of difficult, uh, wrapping up my list. And, uh, I had to list him just because I remember that. 04 season, uh, vaguely but I do remember watching football and that was when he was a freshman and I just remember watching him I mean he it was almost like it was almost like uh, defenses couldn't touch him I mean he put up nearly 2,000 rushing yards that season he put up 1,925 rushing yards uh 15 touchdowns um and I think I think his average, he averaged somewhere like six yards a carry. It was it was ridiculous. And I, this is just one of those personal things for me. Um I remember watching him play and you know, not only that season, but uh the next two seasons before he entered the draft. Uh and I think, you know, he didn't do nearly as well as he did his freshman season. He played fewer games. Uh he played eleven in his sophomore season, seven in his uh, junior season Then he declared for the draft, putting up eleven hundred and a thousand yards respectively there. Uh, but just that freshman season really stuck out to me. And so that's why I have him listed at number five on my list.
0: I don't think you get drug for the month through that. I, I really like Adrian Peterson here. I don't have him on my list, but I, I don't think you can go wrong with that pick. I mean, personally, I think he probably was a better NFL player than he was college player, but people forget how highly rated he was coming out of Oklahoma. I mean, people thought he was the next big thing. I mean, they, they thought he was going to dominate the NFL, which he did. He has some outside f- football issues that really impacted his career. But I don't, I don't mind that pick at all. But for number five, for me, it's a very, very recent player. And it's Deshaun Watson out of Clemson. Uh, for me, I would say Watson was one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch on TV. I mean, every time he stepped on the field, there seemed like there was like a Center top 10 play waiting to happen. Uh, I mean he threw for over four thousand yards in both his sophomore and junior seasons and had thirty five and forty one touchdowns both those years as well. I think he was the most one of the probably the one of the most dynamic quarterbacks I've ever watched personally, and his games in the national championships were legendary. He was one and one, but both of the games he just seemed to step up i mean it seemed like with this kid the bigger the stage, the bigger he played. And we're seeing that in the NFL now. I mean, Desha- if you need a playmate in a national championship, a playoff game, Deshaun Watson is going to make it. And I love his attitude. I like what he stands for. I mean, he's just one of my overall like favorite players. But I had to put him on this list because I think he's very underrated in terms of his college career. And I think, I don't know how you feel about this right now, I think he's one of the biggest husband snubs of all time because he should have won the husband either his junior or senior year. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree with you there um and it was
1: it was tough for me he's in spoiler alert, he's not on my list but it was it was tough for me to not put him on my list
0: yeah and i mean so i'll go ahead and move to number four on my list another quarterback i feel like you have to have this guy on your list or and if you don't i think you're only mad because he beat your team constantly and that's tim tebow okay uh tim tebow you know, it, it, it may be an obvious choice. It may be a cop out. But for me personally, watching college football, when you're talking about the best football all players of your time that you've watched personally and you were alive when Tim Tebow played, he's got to be on your list. Um, There's been players who have exploded one season, maybe bigger than Tebow did. I'm looking at Cam Newton, Joe Burrow. But I don't think there's been a quarterback in our lifetime that has had the, I guess – the, the long-term success that Tebow had. I mean, Tebow was good from the second he took over in Gainesville for Urban Meyer. And I think he might have had the argument to be the best player in college football for almost three years in a row. Uh, he threw for over 9,000 yards in his career, ran for almost 3,000. And he was one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in history and probably the one of the best in modern history. Uh, and I mean, we all can speak on this. I mean, you know, I'm not, saying anything bad i mean some people speak bad about him but his attitude and leadership for me made him even more special because i think he was one of the first quarterbacks to really step out into the public and you got to see his leadership i mean that speech you know after ole miss or the interview whatever it was i mean one of the most legendary speeches in history and the fact that he really and truly changed that program down in Gainesville for the best is huge and I I really think this list would be invalid without him on it yeah that speech he gave after he
1: couldn't even get a yard for his team no he's on my list as well (laughs) but uh (laughs) another spoiler alert but um my my next my next pick uh my number four is a player that and like Zach said you know this is Players that we remember wa- we remember watching growing up, uh, players, you know, not even growing up, it may even be recently, uh, um, and players that really stuck out to us, and I think that I would just be doing an injustice to myself, an injustice to, uh, really, I mean, really to just an incredible season of football. You know, I know it's not just about one season, but my personal uh, top four player of all time is Joe Burrow. He's not the highest quarterback on my list. Before I get crucified, by the way, um, and if this were a list of player of greatest seasons in college football history, he would be higher than four, in my opinion. But it's not. It's about uh, it's about greatest players uh, that we remember watching in college football, um, and this is mainly for his, this past season. Uh, I mean, fifty six hundred and seventy one yards is incredible. Not only that, but you tack on a seventy six percent completion rate. Um, and then 60 touchdowns—you add that to it. It's just that's something that you can't really overlook. I understand it was one season. Uh, It's not like you know his season before was awful. I'm not going to sit here and and act like it was a great season. It wasn't. Um, you know, a 58% completion rate is bad. You know, but uh, 2,900 yards on on his junior season last year is, is pretty good. But it just doesn't even. Uh, Live up a little bit to this past season and what he did with this team. Um, And so, yeah, uh, it's just this past season was very special to me. That's been abundantly uh, clear since since we
2: started this podcast.
0: If you listen to our uh, national championship recap, you know exactly how special that moment was for Brandon.
1: Go get back and listen. I, I've had a few sleepless nights <laughs> thinking
0: about that interview. But, um. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at that pick at all. I almost had him on my list. He's right outside my list. It's just I had three quarterbacks on my list, and I wanted to make room for some other positions, other players on my list. So I'm not mad at that at all. I mean, it isn't just about one season. But at the same time, when your season is is as great as Joe Burrow's was, I think that's a valid point, especially as an LSU fan. This is personal list.
1: Right. Uh, For my number three, I'll go ahead and move on. Um, So, funny story when i was writing my list up i forgot to put any <laughs> defensive players in my list and so i had to come back and add one um and he somehow landed on number three on my list i don't know how i forgot about him but um as much as i don't like this guy uh maybe maybe you don't like a lot of the things he does i don't like the kind of player he is uh there's no disputing how great he was especially in college at his time at nebraska i've got and sue um who just really showed out for this Cornhuskers team uh specifically in two thousand nine uh i mean even before that you know his, his junior season oh eight um it's just he was he was a big part of this uh nebraska team that year uh and uh what how did they even do that season I think, i'm pretty sure he I'm they, they sure did defense
0: they, they, yeah they did pretty well i think they made it to a BCS bowl uh and I, he was in like the housing race and everything and nebraska team was actually kind of loaded i think they lost the big 12 championship which is what kept them making a run late in the season
1: right and so i mean he was a big part of that not only that but i mean his junior season and i remember these like clear as day because it was just it's it's not something you saw a lot uh he had two pick sixes his his uh his junior season and i just if I could explain it to you guys better than I am right now, I would, but my words wouldn't do it justice. Uh, the job that he did while in that Nebraska uniform. Um, and so in my opinion, he's the greatest, he's the greatest defensive ball player that I've seen in my lifetime or that I remember seeing anyway. Uh, and so I had to put him up here on my list.
0: I had a tie really for my two and three and Sue was in my two or three range. So I'll go ahead and build off of you. I mean, uh, personally, like, i I was really torn, like I really almost included Tyran matthew uh wanted to i uh, like I was thinking like minka Fitzpatrick, I mean there were a few defense players I really wanted to include, but thinking back, I remember watching you know the season that Sue went to the Hosman ceremony and everything, and I mean it seemed like every play, no matter how how many people they assigned to block him, there was no stopping this guy I mean there really might not have been a better defensive player in my lifetime, especially not a defensive tackle. I mean, Aaron Donald and Ed Oliver made a run at it. Quinn and Williams for Alabama made a run at it, but the Dominican Sioux is probably the most dominant player on defense that I've ever watched. I mean, as defense, as a defensive tackle, making 50 tackles for loss just shows how explosive in a play and what type of playmaking ability he had. And, 24 sacks as a defensive tackle is outrageous because every single play you are double-teamed by the center, the guard, sometimes even a tackle depending on how wide you are. I mean, this dude was double, triple-teamed constantly and still found a way to get to the quarterback 24 times right up the middle. And like Brandon said, he had four career interceptions as a defensive tackle. That's not, That doesn't even make any sense. And to have over 215 total tackles in his career – just blows my mind and personally I I feel a certain type of way about the way that husband ceremony went and if there was ever a true defensive player that deserved the husband it was Nadama Kinsu and it wasn't even close and I think there was a real argument that he should have gotten it and I think there might have been a little bit of a bias based on where he played and some of his out extracurricular things that he did in the game and I think Brandon you probably agree with me on that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I it's, it's a player that it was, it wasn't hard for me to put him on this list, but it was, it kind of looked a bad taste
0: in my mouth. Um, I love it. Just, I, I loved his, I love his dirty play and aggression. I love every second of it. It yeah, just reminds I love, I love me of like old play. school football. Old school football, bro. I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. But for my next player, also, I, like I said, I couldn't decide who to put two, who to put three. Is there a bit of a bias here? Yeah, probably so. Brandon knows what's about to come. Um, I got Cam take the money, Newton. Uh, one of the best players to step on the field in our lifetime. I mean, even if he's not in your top five, Cam Newton belongs in the top ten, right there beside Joe Burrow and Tim Tebow and Deshaun Watson, in my opinion. Even if he's not in your top five, he's in the top ten. Like Brandon said, even if it's just one season, it's one of the best seasons we've seen in our lifetime. I mean. In One year at Auburn, coming from Blinn College, he took an average Auburn team at best to the national title and played a really, really tough schedule. I mean, I think uh, you know how me and Brandon feel about SEC scheduling. Uh, that conference is really hard, especially at this time, because LSU was extremely good in 2010. Alabama was was really, really good. Georgia, also pretty good. Plus, they played a Clemson team with Todd Boyd when Dabo started getting that program going in the right direction. And that's not even including South Carolina, who had a really good team under Spurrier, and that Oregon team they had to face under Chip Kelly. I mean, in one season, he passed for almost 3,000 yards, had almost 1,500 rushing, and put up 50 total touchdowns. And that season, it was not a debate who the best player on the field and in college football was. And the thing that really impresses me, it's not even I'm an Auburn fan, it's just I know as an Auburn fan, if you take Cam Newton off that team and put in an average quarterback, that team may not be bowl eligible. Uh, right. I don't. I, I don't. There were two players that made it in the NFL off that team, and they were both on the defensive side of the ball. And that was Nick Fairley and Josh Bynes. Uh And a defense tackle and a middle linebacker. So not a lot of help when it comes to that offense. And I, you know, I want to put Brandon on the spot without looking it up. Can you name another player off that Auburn offense? no um
1: honestly no uh all i remember from that from that year's auburn team is that i hated them because of cam newton and because they beat lsu so
0: exactly and i think that's why he's not on a lot of people's top fives i think the whole scandal and the fact that he was so cocky and just i think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and i think a lot of people still haven't gotten over that i mean and we're not nfl podcast but it's kind of getting screwed in the nfl right now um So he's on my list. I think Cam Newton is a surefire pick for anyone's list. Yeah, and I see where
1: you're coming from that. I think it's the same reason that I had Joe Burrow on my list. It's just I understand Joe had he had more (laughs) talent on his team, I guess. Um, But and I mean, it's very similar.
0: Like to be fair, Joe Burrow is probably one of the best passers I've ever seen. The thing that I think separated him and Newton is that. Newton could make so many plays with his leg and he was so big. I think it popped off the screen more, which is why I think Newton was probably the more exciting player. But if you're looking for just a pro style, like, holy crap, this dude can sling the ball. Joe Burrow takes that every day. And I'll never say Cam Newton is a, is, is a better or even the same type of thrower Joe Burrow is.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll go ahead and move on to my number two. Uh, and like, I promised you guys, I've got my, I've got my top quarterback here. Um, and it's going to pay me to say. Actually, it's really not. Uh, Tim Tebow. You, know, you Thank can't you. really hate. Thank you. Guy, yeah, really, you can't really no, you hate can. Tim Tebow. You cannot. I hate Florida. I cannot stand Florida. <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't really hate Tim Tebow. Um, great guy. You know. Uh, anyway, um, and the reason that I have, to have him on here is because uh, if nothing else, he is Mister Consistent, and he is Mister Consistently Great. So throughout his four years at Florida. Uh, we saw him. I mean, from the like you said, from the moment he stepped on the field, um, we knew he was something special. I mean, the first year that he was like a true starter throughout the whole season, um, which you know he you know, he he did play his freshman year. Uh, but I mean, what he have? I mean, he passed for three hundred and fifty eight yards. Yeah, I mean, he, he was well. He
0: set behind uh Chris Leak, who literally what like went, led well, the led Florida to like the national championship. <laughs>
1: Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But he did play in all 14 games, but that's because Florida was just, I mean, they were beating everybody. Anyway, um, so uh, starting in 07 with the sophomore season, I mean, we saw him, obviously. uh, I mean, he he was one of the first true examples of what a dual threat quarterback needed to be in this era. Um, I mean, he passed for 3,286 yards, 32 touchdowns, but not only that, and I think this is what won on the Heisman he rushed for 895 yards and 23 touchdowns that season. I mean, that's absolutely nuts. Uh, and obviously, yeah, that's his best season, his sophomore season, the year that he won the Heisman trophy. Uh, and he continued on his junior season. You know, he had a, a fairly decent year. That was the year. Uh, I believe that was the year with the speech um, that Zach, that Zach yeah. referred to earlier. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the worst of his three starting seasons. Uh then he shocked the world. He decided to come back to Florida for a senior season and put up better numbers than he did his, uh, his junior year. I mean, so I mean, this guy was just consistently great throughout his career. Uh, I absolutely hated when LSU had to play Florida, Florida over the span. Uh, obviously they, they, they won a national championship while Tim Tebow was there. Oh, seven was a great year, uh, for everybody. That was Tebow's Heisman year, but it was also an LSU national championship year. Um, Anyway, uh, I'll go ahead and move on past Tebow, uh, on to my number one. And Zach, I can only say that I hope we have the same number one because he's well, just I think the we greatest,
0: are. I think we. He's are. just the
1: greatest college football player of this of this era, um, regardless of whether he had uh, everything stripped from him or not. I've got Reggie Bush. I also have Reggie Bush. Yeah. So. I mean he just tore the Pac-10 up the entire time and that's right Pac-10 it was not the Pac-12 when he was there uh I'm sorry not Pac yeah I'm I'm confusing myself go ahead it was it was it was, it,
0: it was Pac-10 uh, Colorado was not in it I believe uh Utah was not in it if yeah, I uh, Yeah, my teams right but I mean for me Bush was the most exciting, explosive, fun-to-watch player of my life. Uh, I mean, he had it all. The speed, the f- the, f- the flashy game that he played, the hands, the attitude, the confidence. I just – all of it just worked for me. Uh, for me, he was the best college football running back for at least two years and could have been three if he would have returned to USC, but – you know, every time he touched the ball, it was a potential game-changing play. It was a touchdown every t- a p- potential touchdown every time he touched it. I mean, go look it up, Bad Radio, but that run against Fresno State was one of the just most electric runs I've ever watched in my life. And that's why that's the thing that stuck out to me and the fact that he helped, you know, Pete Carroll change that culture at USC that he was like really the true leader of that team. I mean, and really and truly, if it was not for Lindell White taking half the carries from Bush, there's no reasons that, that he could have rushed for over 2000 yards this final season. But Lindell White got a lot of carries. They both ran for over a thousand yards and it was a weird one, two combo they had, but it worked, took them all the way to the national championship multiple times. And, but I think Reggie Bush is the most overlooked player in college football history. And if you turn on the tape there's no disagreement that he was the best college football player in our lifetime.
1: Look, and and here's one other thing. and It's it's kind of relevant to the times. Uh, I don't know if you're like me and Zach, but if you are, you've been playing a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of Xbox, a whole lot of PlayStation. And one of the, one of my favorite memories growing up was playing NCAA 06 and Gotta taking love it. USC. Gotta love it. And I mean, Reggie Bush was unstoppable in that game. <laughs> it, it was. It was like it was and, like
0: '06. It, it, like, it, it was It was like playing with Michael Vick and Madden '4.
1: It just it, was, it wasn't fair. Or Bo Jackson and Techno Bowl. And we're yeah. really aging ourselves here, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just. It was, yeah, I mean, it was just uh, he was unstoppable, and it you know that wasn't too far fetched from what reality was. I mean, it was, and like Zach said, I mean every single time this guy touched the ball it it was it was almost not fair. I mean, he was taking it uh, what he have. He had uh, uh, how many touchdowns? 16 touchdowns that junior season uh with USC. Not only that, but I mean 1740 yards on the ground. And
0: that's splitting half his carries with Wendell White both of those years. Right. I, I mean, I know
1: earlier, you know, my number 5 player was Adrian Peterson, and I talked about that incredible 04 season where he had 1925 yards. He wasn't splitting carries like Reggie Bush was, and if, and Reggie Bush would have beaten the rushing record in college football had he not been splitting these touches with Wendell White.
0: Yeah, but I anyway. mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, it, I, this to me was so easy to pick number one. I worked backwards; I did number one, then went back. Number one for Reggie Bush for me always. But we're gonna go ahead and move on to another segment here. And we're going to talk about Alabama recruiting. Uh, You know, everyone knows the domination that Alabama has shown in recent years on the recruiting trail due to the legendary Nick Saban. I mean, since 2015, Alabama averages a 1.8 recruiting class finish in those years, and that ranks the highest by far in the country compared to other teams. And this recruiting cycle seems to be – off to a historically slow start for the Crimson Tide as the as this program only has one commit as of today, March 29th. And with the outbreak of COVID-19, it projects to drastically alter the landscape of this recruiting cycle, which is a bad sign for any program that has a slow start. Programs such as Ohio State, Clemson, Florida already has already have double-digit commits and are often running on an important recruiting cycle. The early signing period has changed the game in terms of recruiting and made this a year-round process. You know, most recruits aim to sign in December, which, the, which means the clock is ticking for the Crimson Tide. Yes, it's only March, almost April. But Brandon, should we start to be worried about Alabama's 2021 recruiting class?
1: should we be worried? No, I, I don't think we should be any more worried than we normally are. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Alabama. They, they reel in, you know, like you said, they are, he, Nick Saban at Alabama averages 1.8 on, uh, on the national recruiting stage. Um, and, and that's an average. I mean, you know, he gets one plenty of times. He, he lands two and three all the time. I think for 2020, they were at two. Um, yeah. So they were number two. Sure, I don't, So I'm not sure that I'm understanding the question. Should we be worried or should Alabama be worried?
0: Alabama be worried. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Okay. Uh, Should Alabama
1: be worried? I'm also going to go with no. Yeah, I don't think Alabama needs to be worried. I
0: think think as long as they
1: have Nick Saban and as long as they're still the University of Alabama, as long as they're still finishing in the top 10 every single year and usually making it to the – I mean, they've made the college football playoff every season other than this season. Uh, this is an Alabama team that, I, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's the University of Alabama, it's Nick Saban. It, it's, it's still a dynasty. I don't think the dynasty is over yet. You know, I don't think the dynasty will be over until Nick Saban's well gone. Um, I mean, I mean, really think about it. And here's the way that I can relate to it because, you know, as an LSU fan, as a, as a fan of another team in the, uh, in the SEC, um, I mean, you would have thought that when LSU won uh, won the game against Alabama back in November of 2019, you would have thought that was their national championship because of how hard everyone celebrated, how excited everyone was that they beat Alabama. Do I think that Alabama needs to be worried about only having one commit at this point for 2021? Not really. I think things are going to come in time. Um, I mean, really, if you look at it, every major recruit in the country has, has like three teams that, that they're, that they're uh, honing things down to. Uh, They they have in their top five is usually what players are posting, you know, at this point anyway, top five, top 10, Uh, the university of Alabama, LSU and Clemson are usually in that top five, top 10 for every single player. So no, I don't think they really need to be worried. I think the players are going to take a little bit slower due to this outbreak. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, these kids are still in high school. These kids are dealing with uh, a lot of things. They're really looking forward to their senior seasons and yeah, sure. They're looking forward to college. Um, of course. I mean, why wouldn't you, but you know, it, it's just one of those things where if you're Alabama, don't be worried because you were still Alabama, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I don't technically disagree with you. I think, I mean, let me start off with this, since everyone thinks that really both of us are uh biased when it comes to talking about Alabama football. Nick Saban's not in trouble. He's still the greatest coach of all time. And this I don't think this speaks negatively toward what Alabama's building. So I actually am taking another opinion. I think it I think the worry should start to build. Should we be in all is the panic should we go ahead and buy the panic button? No. But should we look at the prices of the panic button? Maybe. Uh, and this is, so the reason is, I mean, Alabama right now has had more kids in this recruiting class decommit than they have commits now. Right. That's, that's I mean, really, that's not
1: hard to do. It's not hard to do when you have one commit and he's from the state of Alabama.
0: Yeah. For yeah. Mobile, Alabama, four-star defensive end. Uh, you know, the thing that makes me kind of worried about this though, is this is the first time. In Alabama history, under Nick Saban, where only one commit was in the class, less than nine months away from signing, signing day. Yeah, it's, that's it's, that, that's that's. I mean, as much as yes, as Nick Saban in Alabama, this is unprecedented territory, and it's only exasperated by the uncertain times that this you know outbreak has caused. I mean, we don't know when recruits are going to be able to take visits to campuses. So, do you want to chase a team like Ohio State that you compete with for recruits that already has 15 commits and three of them are five stars?
1: No, do you, I, do you, I suppose not.
0: Yeah. And so for me, I think this is so worrisome because of the early signing period. If it was back in national signing day days where you have till February, let's not stress. You got 11 months, but those a lot of these kids want to sign in December and commit before they start playing in August for their high school team. And with this outbreak, everything's changed because you have to get commits early. And now these commits cannot come visit campus with their families. They can't have these one-on-one talks with their family in their homes. And, I think this hurts a lot of teams that recruit nationally like Alabama, Georgia, and these teams that recruit these kids from California. These families don't don't just want to send their kids across the country without coming to see campus multiple times. So I think this plays this plays into a hand of in-state commits, and I think that's why their sole commit is from Alabama. And I think for me personally, this speaks more to what other schools are doing rather than what Bama is doing wrong. I think schools like LSU, Florida, Georgia have all picked up a lot of steam on the recruiting trail and it's starting to show. I mean, that's not even including schools like Clemson, Ohio State that recruit evenly now with Alabama in recent years. And a lot of these schools have new facilities, coaches that have relationships with a lot of these players, and they have the opportunity to really reach and take some players that Bama had locked down in previous years with Saban and... I don't want to say this too soon. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you don't think Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, Coach O, Lane Kiffin, Ryan Day, all these coaches that are younger than Nick Saban are preaching, hey, man, you don't know when he's leaving. You don't know when he's going to step down. I mean, you don't think Kirby Smart's like, hey, man, I'm like 20 years younger than Nick Saban. And I've I planned to be in Georgia for a long time. Why don't you come play with me so I can guarantee you I'll be here for four years while you're here. Right. I, I think there's a lot of negative recruiting coming. I think it's starting to catch up. I think that age is going to become a factor. I mean, I'm not – so let me say this. Bama's still going to land big recruits. But – and they're going to land a lot of five stars. They're probably going to finish with the top 10 class. Let's not get me wrong. But I'm a little worried that it's a one recruit. They're ranked – they are 10th in the SEC – no, 11th in the sec right now in recruiting class vanderbilt has a better recruiting class right now than alabama that's worrisome to me it it really is even though they should recover what if they don't and what if you know is this a sign of thing to come i mean i think there's negative recruiting happens across the country i'm just worried that it's going to catch up eventually i mean Davos Sweeney can recruit like none other in the country. You've spoke how many times on this podcast about how good of recruiter Coach O is? Yes, is. I mean, get countless. And Kirby Smart, in his time in Georgia, has landed a top three recruiting class every single year. And right, I mean, Ohio State's gaining steam. Michigan still has Jim Harbaugh. As much as I don't think, I'll, I, as much as I don't believe in him, he can still recruit pretty well. Uh Dan Mullins doing his thing in Florida. And I mean, I'm trying not to be biased, but I mean Gus Malzahn's not a scrub across the state in Auburn. And yeah. I I really think it's just the and James Franklin and Penn State's pointing, guys. I mean, look at what Mac Brown's doing in North Carolina. I think it's just an increase in competition and recruiting that's driving this recruiting class down. And I, I think a lot I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the area. I mean, you look at Dan Mullen only in his third year, Miami has a young coach smarts there um will Muschamp's of south carolina trying to build something Dabo sweeney's a younger coach jeremy pruitt's only in his second or third year gus miles still a pretty a pretty young coach coach o is still new at at, at lsu uh mississippi state and ole miss have two le- great great nationally known coaches that just stepped in i think there's a lot of players that are trying to figure out what they really want here I think there's a lot of new coaches, younger coaches that are big fish that really are going to make a run at some of these players. And for me, you definitely should be concerned. But is it panic time? Not yet.
1: Not quite. You're absolutely right. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's that's really all I have to say about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so stay tuned, guys. We are going to update you guys on this Alabama cycle. But do not freak out guys it will be okay hopefully i mean part of me hopes it's not but i think it's gonna be and i think part of brandon probably thinks it's not okay but we're gonna move on to our last topic of the episode and you know as the dead days of sports continue uh an interesting story broke out i I think we can agree that it was one of the most uh shocking stories and It came from Sports Business Journal, and they reported that the NCAA has had talks about moving the season into the summer months. Um, And this is due to current projections of the COVID-19 virus slowing down during the summer because of the heat and humidity and ramping back up this fall and winter. Uh, This would cause many teams to go into overdrive to try to get younger players ready that have already no experience since spring practice was canceled by the NCAA. Uh, Pat Ford of Sports Illustrated has said that multiple sources he's talked to has called the idea absurd, and others have scoffed at this idea. Brandon, do you think the NCAA would really consider playing during the summer months? And if so, how would this work logistically?
1: Oh, dude, do you do I think the NCAA would consider it? Yeah, I mean it's run by. I don't. I don't want to keep bashing the NCAA, but I'm gonna have to. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, Zach. And you wanna know why? <laughs> do you? Because because if you move a sport that is usually played outdoors directly to the middle of hurricane season, that's not gonna end well. Um I mean if you want to start in July and run it through September, do you know when hurricane season is, Zach? It's it's like June through September. It's that's just the worst idea anyone's I, maybe I, ever not- had.
0: I'm not gonna lie. I did not expect you to take the hurricane argument here, so you kind of caught me off guard with this argument
1: yeah no i've got I've got notes on it, man. don't even worry um but, and and let's think about it i mean from from a logistics standpoint, where hurric? what what part of the country do hurricanes usually affect?
0: We're gonna go uh, south, south south and east coast
1: southeastern United States wait, south east. Earn conference the SEC. So here's what here's what I think, Zach. I think that this is <laughs> oh, a, God. A, a, a bunch of collusion going on be, between oh, the God. Big Ten, the ACC, the Big Twelve, uh, maybe even Pac Twelve.
0: Yo, the and ACC the, has Miami. It's like on the. It's literally the bottom of Florida. No, yeah, they Florida willing, State.
1: Oh no, they're willing to sacrifice those two. They haven't been oh, really wow. producing great football. Yeah, yeah. wow. Um, yeah, Clemson's thinking about moving more inland. Uh from what I hear. But you know, I mean, they're the, trying to be rid of the Clemson's,
0: <laughs> Clemson's pretty inland. I don't know if you've been to Clemson. Like it's not on the coast of South Carolina.
1: And, no, it's, it's basically Georgia. We all know that. And that's why they're good at football. Um it's almost I mean, that
0: is SEC country, I guess. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean personally I don't see this happening. I mean it's an interesting idea, but I mean, so a lot of these schools. I know Auburn has uh, personally, so is Kansas State here. I mean, schools have already canceled summer classes, so they're going to allow these students to come back and play football. I don't see it happening, and you know, (laughs) I would be so mad
1: if they if they if this actually happened. Um, As a recent season ticket holder, this would just throw my plans for a loop. <laughs> um, I, I, just, I just I don't know that I'd want to be in a stadium with a hundred and two thousand other people uh around this time you know I don't think that this will have died down quite yet by july uh, and 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 an even better point really is that is there really good evidence to say that that this virus slows down under heat i mean I understand the severity of it but I mean, what, what studies are we looking at to see that it will slow down because of the summer heat in the United States? I understand maybe under like, under like severe heat, it might slow down, but I don't think, I mean, right now it's like, what, like at least here in Louisiana, it's like 90 degrees every day and it's, it's growing pretty rapidly. Um, I don't, I'm I'm not, I'm not even trying to make a joke here. I'm just, this is, I'm and I'm serious here. Um. I just don't know that it would slow down that much over the summer. I mean, as much as I hate to say that, I just I don't know what evidence we have that, it, that the heat of the summertime is going to slow this virus down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. In my notes, I literally have that we should put the players, coaches, personnel, fans first here. Think long-term. I mean, I think the CDC, other health officials, really have to be greatly involved with this decision, but I don't see it happening. And I mean, You brought up hurricane season. I was going a completely opposite way with it. I think the Southern conferences, SEC, ACC, Big 12, even a part of the Pac-12 are going to hate this idea. I mean, how many times have we heard that we should protect the players from heat strokes and cramping and other things related to excessive heat exposure? I mean – I've been to Baton Rouge in early September for a 2:30 game in the upper deck on a bright sunny 98 degree day and I thought I was going to die just sitting in the stands. I don't think these kids want to play a game in Baton Rouge in July um uh, in the middle of the day. Let's say they have it. Let's just say they have a 2:30 kickoff. Uh I think we're going to see a lot of players uh ask for some domes to play in because that sounds absolutely miserable to even go to a game like that.
1: No, you're not lying. I mean, that's why. That's I would be upset uh, if I if I, which I wouldn't be that mad because I'd be watching football. I guess, but I just had much. That sounds so miserable, you, man. If you move my football season, I'm not going to know what to do. You know, I you know it's been a couple of weeks now without sports, and I'm already kind of on edge. If you move my football season, I'm just I'm not going to function correctly for the next, let's say, three to five years. It's just it's going to throw me off three that much.
0: Years. It's <laughs> going to throw me off that much. It is. I mean, I just don't understand, like, how this is going to work at all. I mean, you literally force teams to have indoor practices because of the heat. They can't have a certain length practices because of the heat down south. I mean, and let's not even talk about that. I mean, so we're both from the south. Brandon, How how much humidity, you know, does a place like Baton Rouge have during the summer?
1: Uh well, it sits right on the Mississippi River. I mean, you can you can literally walk to the levee. You can see the levee from campus; like it's right across the street. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of humidity.
0: Yeah, like, so what what happens when a team like let's say Utah State that comes from no humidity comes down to play in Baton Rouge in July? Oh, they die. That's just they, they, I'm sorry. absolutely like I know Death Valley is where dreams come to die. Bad things would happen. I mean, I don't, I don't think you played. can. I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you can account for the change in, I, I guess, environment for some of these teams. I mean, the the environment difference between Oregon and Ohio State, who play in the first in the second week of the season, is so drastic that I just I think it's going to be dangerous, man. I, I really think. I really, as much as I want football to happen, I, I really think you got to put the concerns of the players here, and then that doesn't even account for. They're saying this is going to be a reduced season or uh, ex- uh like a condensed season is the word i heard and you know how do we account for bowl games sponsorships tv deals uh deals with stadiums i mean de- i mean there's so many logistical things that have to go into this and i mean if they're going to start in june you got like two months to get this together and i just i don't see how that's illogical in the slightest
1: and let's let's talk about this as well Um, with, with the outbreak and with cases growing every single day, I mean, what is it in New York now? There's, there's more than 5,000 cases in New York state right now. Um, I believe so. Is that right? Yeah. I I think it's more than 10,000. I think there's 5,000 in New York city and you know, I might be wrong here. So don't let me, don't, don't get your news from me is basically what I'm saying. Um, but, but are we really going to move football season closer to where this outbreak is? Or are we not going to hit the kill switch for a second and maybe, maybe talk about postponing things before we talk about moving them up? I mean, there are hundreds if not thousands of new cases in like single cities alone every single day. I mean, if you look at Louisiana right now, the numbers are growing, you know, it, it's, it's scary how fast they're growing. Um, I believe the growth rate in Louisiana is very similar to that of what Italy was uh, less than a month ago and and how quickly that everything's uh, the cases were growing there. Um, are we really going to bring teams that aren't from uh, maybe a, a highly infected area to these highly infected areas to play at this point? You know, I mean you just have to you have to think about the safety of players, coaches, faculty, and, and fans before you think about oh well how are we going to play football season this year are we going to move it up no don't be let's just let's just hit the kill switch for a second let's let's sit back let's see how things go and then God, as much as it's going to pay me let's put football on the back burner for right now
0: yeah uh as that, much that as hurts. it kills me i agree i mean even i, I think even play with no fans there's problems presented i mean Football rosters are so much bigger than like, let's just say NBA, like for example, I mean, you can quarantine 12 people and make sure they don't interact with anyone. But you're talking about a football team that has 50, 60, 70 kids. I mean, how do you quarantine all of them and make sure that no one has it? Like, do you have to test before every game? I mean, how often do you test? I mean, the test results are coming back so slow. I think there's major, major issues with this plan. And, I mean, I I think even playing with fans, as much as I want football, I think that would take away from the excitement. I mean, can you imagine traveling all the way to Oregon from Ohio State and to play in an empty stadium? Yeah, it's – Because, like, you think a basketball arena would be creepy. Can you imagine playing an empty game in Death Valley with almost 100,000 empty seats?
1: You know what? That might actually be more intimidating for the away team.
0: I, I don't That's know true. How, but that, that, that is scary. I mean, like at I night. Think, yeah. I mean, come on, like Brian Denny Stadium, like the the big house of Michigan. I mean, that would be outrageous to play games like that. But yeah, guys, we'll keep you guys updated on this. I don't think either me nor Brandon think this is actually a logical possibility, but the NCAA has done way more outrageous things than that in their time. Uh, but yeah, so that is a wrap on this episode guys. Um, again, thanks for tuning in. We bring in you guys sports content for this uh, time of no sports. Uh, so we've been doing our best on that. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore blue bloods, Twitter at the underscore, underscore blue bloods, Facebook at the blue bloods pod uh, website, the blue dot uh mock draft up now. We're gonna Brandon's gonna get his done. We're gonna talk about it on the podcast, our differences where we disagree, yada yada, all that kind of stuff. But keep tuning in. You can find us everywhere. Uh go rate the podcast, subscribe, everything. Uh YouTube channel back up and running. Go check out older episodes on there. We're getting that going. You can just find us the blue bloods on YouTube. But uh, keep tuning in. Keep listening. We'll keep dropping stuff. But for now, we out.